Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit, but what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma, to highlight its impacts, and most importantly, to help those who've lived through it to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults trying to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot and now you will too. But first, a trigger warning. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma, and suicide. If you don't think you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath, and come back another day. I'll be here. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and elders on all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold, and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and I'm committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. I pay my deep respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past and present and acknowledge all Aboriginal children, young people, families and staff who I provide services to now and in the future. I embrace and commit to the spirit of work and self-determination, empowerment and reconciliation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Trauma Tales. Today, we're being joined by Brooke. Hi, Brooke. How are you? Hi, good, thanks. That's good. So let's just jump straight on in. Um, Tell me, Brooke, tell me a little bit about a time where you've experienced trauma. Um, I think I've, well, I've experienced trauma a few times throughout my life, um, but the most significant is the more recent um, in my previous marriage where I experienced um, domestic violence. Um, So, yeah, um, I experienced domestic violence a number of ways uh, through um, verbal abuse, emotional or psychological abuse, um, financial abuse um physical abuse and um yeah it, and basically coercive control so it was a time in my life where i thought that i was marrying someone who was nurturing and taking care of me but was in fact um controlling me and treating me um, like I fit into his life rather than um, mm. a partnership, even okay. though the, the words that came from him was, you know, I walk by, by your side, um, you know, we're partners, that sort of thing. Um, the difficulty, a difficult aspect for me was he was quite um, intelligent and witty in terms of, um, I guess, his um, intellect and I found that incredibly 
um, attractive because, you know, I'm a high-performing professional person um, that I run my own business with a number of people under me. And, um, you know, we just seemed like um, a really good match in a number of ways. Um, but, yeah, the, those elements um, of domestic violence were things that I could not visually see for myself um, because mm. the physical violence was few and far between. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't see for myself because there'd be, although there'd be so many bad parts to our relationship, there'd be so many um, good parts because he knew what would make me happy when I needed to be made happy. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I suffered significant trauma and impacted a, a number of my relationships, my immediate family, um, my extended family, my friends, some of my friends. Um, so, you know, and, and just through my business, um, through how I worked um, and with my three children who are to my first husband, um, this most previous marriage was my second marriage. So um, there was a, a stage where I had to make a decision, not just for my um, health and wellbeing, um, but I put my kids first in that um, situation um, and I often think now maybe if it wasn't for my kids I'd probably still be in that marriage wow um, yeah so a lot of a lot of people ask me you know how did you you know you're a smart woman how did you not see um, that this was happening to you and the the main thing that I can put my finger on is that he was in the military so he would go away um, for periods of a time uh, on deployment and I would not see him for maybe two months or three months he'd come home for a few months um, and it was all honky-dory it was like you're in a new relationship every time um, it was very um, yeah it was always very new loving fresh and you know he, he'd really treat me well um, but it came time for when he did actually get out of the military, when he was home permanently, um, that's when everything really unfolded. Um, but I could see elements of, of that abuse through those early stages in hindsight, mm -hmm. um, but I made excuses for them at the time um, because I was, I was getting over, um, or as I entered that relationship, I was on the tail end of um, recovering from a major depressive disorder. So, um, you know, I was getting better and I thought he was helping me get better. Um, and in some ways he was. Um, but then as I got better, um, all of that good health and, and um, just, just curtailed downwards and I, was, I found myself back um, diagnosed with a major depressive disorder and anxiety. This episode of The Trauma Tales is brought to you by Dr Olga Laval and Associates award-winning providers of psychological services, including telehealth and phone consultations, empowering people to make meaningful changes to their lives. For more information, please go to www.olgalaval.com. Wow. So mm. can I ask you, Brooke, you, you mentioned some other um, like different types of 
of domestic violence on a top of physical violence and you said that the physical violence happened quite rarely but these others were quite more often so can we talk a little bit more about like um, the coercive control the psychological violence the emotional abuse and the financial abuse actually that would be a really interesting one well, the, with the financial abuse, I um, came into the relationship with quite a bit of money um, from my previous, well, not my previous marriage, but my previous working life um, when he entered it because I'd worked in Sydney in a, in a high-flying career for a long time and um, I had quite a bit of money behind me uh, and I bought a house where I wanted to settle with my three children and... As a part of that, I relocated my work from Sydney to Wollongong um, and then the firm, the, the business I was working for wasn't really um, what I was accustomed to in terms of working um, mm -hmm. in Sydney. So making the switch to um, the, the local area, um, which is a regional area, had made um, things a little bit difficult in transitioning for me. Um, because it was at essentially a different level. And so I was there for 12 months and towards the end of that, um, I had, you know, there were, there were ongoing clashes um, per se in the way that um, the person in charge of um, my division um, was handling the team um, and the team were turning to me um, for counselling and um you know, I just, I just didn't want to deal with it. I, I couldn't deal with it. And I didn't want to operate within that framework um, that was um, thrust upon me, really. So mm. I decided to set up my own business um, doing that very thing. Um, now, as a part of that business, um, in the particular area in which I work, cash flow is, um, is a slow burn. So mm -hmm. it takes a while to make any money. Um, it can be to about two, three years, um, which is not, not uncommon in a lot of um, businesses when you start up. But um, I obviously needed, it, he backed me to do that and was so supportive of me setting up my own business. But when it came to the finances, um, it was almost like I was left, um, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel for, um, anything I need to get for the kids. Um, you know, he made it very difficult for me to ask him for money. Um, and if I did ask him for money, it would be brought up constantly. It's thrown in my face about what he's done for me. And it was always financial. Um, if ever, you know, I was, I was needing anything, it would, you know, money would sometimes be really forthcoming, but I'd be paying for it. Um, through the um, words he would use to me um, if he had a bad day, um, like, you know, I gave you this, I've done this for you, you owe me, and everything had to be paid back. There was no, there was no marriage partnership um, per se. It was still my money, his money. Um, and I would always talk about, you know, how well things would travel down the track um once I was established and ongoing um and about how everything kind of evens itself out in the end I sold my house 
um, to fund my business um, because I couldn't deal with the financial abuse aspect. Um, yeah, so that was difficult, but, you know, the financial abuse continued to happen um, because I have three children, so essentially I was already a family of four and he was the additional fifth member. Um, if he bought dinner or he did anything, it was, it was always... Um, a, a tally. There was always a tally kept, um, mm. and it was it was awful. It was awful to have to live by a tally. I don't I don't define my um, existence by money. I've always earned good money, so I, I haven't had to. Um, but there there were times when after I left Sydney, you know, I was scraping the bottom of the piggy bank to you know pay the mortgage because I wanted to have some months off and and the market down here was quite poor before I got that local job but that was all before I, I met him and I did that um I'll do what it takes you know to, any mother would to make their um, kids happy and settled keep a roof over their head make sure they're safe but um they're my priorities in life and his was defined by finances mm. so he didn't have children um, he had a child that lived away um, and from what I get um, from him or what he told me um, was that his ex was a nut, that she was crazy, that she was a total bitch, that she stopped him from seeing his son um, when now that I've split from him, his commentary is the same about me. So I've realised that you know, I actually saw something on Facebook not long ago which said um, classic um, traits of a narcissist always look out for when they're saying every single ex they've ever had is a crazy nut bitch. Yeah, mad red flag. <laughs> yeah, it's total red flag. I tell women all the time who are dating, they're like, oh, his ex is crazy. I'm like, red flag, run away, run, run, run. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, wow. you know, so that was um, when he proposed to me, um, his son was involved in that. His, his son and I had a really nice relationship, um, but given the long-standing issues between um, the mother and him, um, the son never returned. Mm. Um, and he put that down to jealousy because we were getting married and he did not marry her, but their relationship had been on and off for a very, very long time and highly volatile. So... And, and one of control. So I think in the end um, she felt successful that she was able to control him and not, um, you know, not great, not giving access to the child. And there is a significant um, geographic um, division between them, like right. in different, different states. Yeah, okay. Um, it's not like he was, and because he was in the military, it's not like he had constant access. It was um, school holidays. So um, it's not something that, you know, was, oh, you know, I'm not seeing my child, which I had every second weekend or 50-50. Um, it was rare he was seeing him anyway. Yeah, okay. Um, but then, again, then again, I should have seen the signs early in that relationship. Um, but I was just oblivious by um, how well at the time he was treating me. Um, but with his son, you know, he was just putting so much pressure on him. Um, because my ex-husband had been um, had been oh, essentially like a you know elite sports person, elite um, in the military, and um, he was just so um, 
pushy with his child mm. to be this to be the same, but his child was different to him um, and didn't have those tendencies to be the best of the best. So, yeah. um, you know, that kind of drilling aspect, I mean, that manifests um, through his relationship to my children too. Um, really? You know, he, yeah. He had a, he had a favourite and the favourite was the one that, was high performing in, in sporting um, and um, my my eldest had a disability, um, intellectual disability, uh, and whilst he tried to understand it in the beginning, he had a very low tolerance for that in the end. Um, and obviously because intellectual disability is something you can't see, it's not a physical disability, um, you often forget it's there. So she's functioning well, you know, if she's not functioning so well, then she's, you know, she's a manipulative bitch, you know. Um, so it, it's very difficult. Um, oh, and with my, my middle child, my son, um, you know, he was, he was pretty happy-go-lucky. He's a sensitive kid, but really happy-go-lucky um, and got along with him in the in the earlier stages for the similar reasons um, that they all did. But um, towards the end, I mean, he did things like in the, the last few years of our relationship, he did things like call my son fat. Um, and this is when he was about 11. Um, and my son developed an eating disorder, um, quite significant eating disorder because of the um, body um, inadequacies he felt from the way he was treated um, by my ex-husband, um, which was quite traumatic for me as well um, because I'm trying to maintain a marriage and trying to, because my, my ex-husband was having uh, mental health issues as well, or said he was, um, and I was trying to balance out, you know, the mental and, and support him through the mental health issues he was having, um, but he was creating so many in the rest of us. Um, in the end, it was just so unsustainable. So did you see that, um, you know, a lot of people will throw the term narcissist about, but, you know, and we all have, have, you know, small traits of narcissism, otherwise we wouldn't have yeah, mirrors or door, uh, fashion industry or anything. But, uh, you know, that, that um, I think we really look for, from a clinical perspective, or a pathological perspective, we really look for the entitlement, mm. um, grandiosity and superiority. Mm. Um, we look for a really exploitative um, uh, interpersonal relationship. So they only have relationships that are of value. Correct. Them. Yep. So and if they're not, and if they're not of value, um, he would be quite denigrating of the person. Um, mm. So, for example, there could be friendships. So you live off your wife, you know, um, because the wife may, may have earned more or, um, it, it, yeah, if he could get something out of that relationship, it was fine. If he couldn't, um, he would, you know, it was just dirty tactics. They were quite dirty tactics um, in terms of what he would say about those people. It was kind of a win or lose situation where you, he always had to be the superior and the best of everybody. Um, mm. you know, it's kind of like, what would you say, um, the peacock or the, you know, that walks around. It's, um, 
So that real would, grandiosity, like superior yeah. to everybody. He's smarter and more powerful and more handsome than anybody in the yeah. room. Yeah, and doesn't have any flaws. Couldn't, you know, could rarely mm-hmm. be accountable unless I was pretty much leaving him. He would not be accountable for his own behaviour, um, you know, and then he could be good for a week or two or three at most and then that behaviour would return and he would always use words like, I'll change, I'll change, I'll change, I'm getting help, I'm getting help. But I found that even when I was attending um, his um, his psychiatry sessions with him or with a couple of them, he'd just be manipulating his treaters. Mm. So you can't really help someone that's not going to be open and vulnerable mm-hmm. um, and put their hand up and say, look, these are the traits I see I'm, you know, um, man- like it, that are manifesting through this, this and this, and this is what I need help with or I need to develop these coping strategies um, in these areas. Um, you know, and even if you can't recognise those, at least be honest about your behaviours at home, in the workplace or other areas of your life, so or like with family and friends, um, so that you can be able to get effective treatment and help. Um, but there wasn't, there was just, again, that grandiose um, opinion of himself with his treaters and about how he was doing absolutely everything, you know. Did he think um, he was smarter than them? I think so, yeah. Um, because if if his traders didn't say something he didn't like, um, he'd be abusive um, uh, yeah. via, e- via emails and things like that. Mm-hmm. I had to, especially through the military, I had to make a lot of um, pleas for his traders um, and take over management of speaking to them because of the poor, um, well, he told me he couldn't cope with it, but of the poor treatment and the way he would speak to people. Uh, so it was... And, and, and that was, um, that would manifest in his relationships with his immediate family too. His dad, he would talk to um, disgustingly at times. His mum didn't really want to come over in the end. She wanted to come and see me and the kids, but then she would always block down and say, I don't want to hear, like if a, a conversation took a turn, she didn't want to hear it. Um, you know, he put many of my family members offside, but no one told me until after I left, left. Um, and that's, you know, that's the difficult part. You know, you've got someone and, and the gaslighting was bad, making me always feel like I had to question myself, telling me things like I was not making any sense. So I was always questioning what I'd said, what I'd done, you know, and, and really being harsh on myself for mm. my actions. Um because I do always try to reflect and, and be better or, or learn from experiences. Um, but when you constantly have that every day, it wears you down. You've got nothing left to give. So, yeah, okay. I'm just, I've just got this kneeling thought, like knowing what like a true narcissist is and how they think. When they... What makes a narcissist really different to just a jerk um, or someone who's, you know, selfish or, or entitled is that they can literally see what they can get out of someone. Like when they first meet them, they're like, these are the things that I want. And like I'm looking at you and I'm talking to you and, you know, you're a smart, articulate, beautiful woman. So he's walked up and basically just gone all of the things. 
like I can suck it dry, like an incubus almost. And that's what he did over over so many years to you. Well, um, I think, yeah, I had a high profile um, in my community um, and through my business I was extremely successful um, and, you know, I had a lot of friends and um, acquaintances and I always like to treat people with respect um, and love to talk to people and learn about people, um, situations, things, um, love to travel, do all that sort of stuff, always have an open mind, right? Now, through my um, profile in the community and in my business and, and through success is, is how, you know, he would turn up to events um, and he'd be jumping up going, that's my wife, that's my wife, and clapping his hands. But right before we walked out the door, he'd bring me down till I was, you know, nothing. Um, mm. And even after we got home, same thing, you know. Um, in the end, even before I left the marital home, um, there were a few key major events that I just did not, I said to, you know, he, he showed those same behaviours and I said, don't come. And I stood, by, stood my guns. And so it was kind of like, you know, I'm not allowing you to have that glorified moment where you jump up and take credit when you treat me so poorly. Yeah, that so, language of that's my wife, that's my thing. Like, like it's still his achievement. I was a possession, really. Um, mm-hmm. And so long as I operated as he wanted me to, everything was fine. I mean, I, I didn't. Um, everything was not fine. Wow. So how, and, and how did you get included, out? That included in relation to the kids and how, you know, in the last couple of years, as he was home constantly, he discharged or was in the process of discharging from the military. He, um, he'd be at home and he'd be like, I'm cooking dinner for us all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'd hear about it, hear and hear, hear about it. Whereas, you know, it's that typical um thing where you know I might be doing a hundred things but I'm not going to talk about them but the one thing you had to hear you had to say thank you you had Mm. to um and be so grateful and um but the dinners he cooked he knew my kids were me it was stuff he wanted for himself like he wasn't thinking about everyone else He, he didn't ask me ever what what I wanted or what the kids wanted it was always what he wanted and if they didn't eat they were disrespectful um, if they didn't like something that, and he knew they didn't like it, they were disrespectful. How dare they? Um, you know, I would often come home from work, uh, and all the kids were in their rooms, never in the main area. Um, and I would often do what I had to do for them. And then I'd retreat to my room. Um, for the last 18 months of my marriage, I was a prisoner in my room, essentially, as were my kids. And, like I said, there were glimpses of improvement from time to time and then you see the old person that you fell in love with but then, like I said, the red flags kick in and you realise, well, I think I had those moments because they were fleeting, you know, a few months here, there. But um, in the end I ended up, uh, for about the last 12 months, I was looking at properties to get out of um, mm-hmm. And this is what I understand from a number of um, 
I do a lot of support for domestic violence now because I, I get that a lot of women don't feel like they can leave because especially when financial abuse is an element. Mm. Um, and my business was still climbing um, in terms of what I was paying myself was minimal. I, and the, the property market had skyrocketed. I didn't feel like I could pay for rent. I didn't feel like I could pay for all those things um, that, you know, um, I had been sharing um even you know sharing a little um but I had to escape um and I did whatever I could to and I I looked for various properties but every time he realized that I had an application he would change you know for a month he'd change mm. um and he, he'd break down and cry um and so but eventually I just thought enough's enough I was turning up to work and you know it was affecting how I functioned um I can remember many times driving to work and he's screaming at me down the phone and just saying you did this you did that you did this and I mean like I said I shut myself in a room for um the majority of the time I was at home so you know it wasn't things that I could do but these were things that were you know, he, he was putting out there that I did. And, you know, I'd be I'd be an anxious bundle of mess before I turned in to run a, a business, a sizable business. Mm. And, you know, you can't function effectively. No. Um, but you need to for the sake of your employees and for the sake of your children, but not only that, for the sake of your escaping the situation. This episode of The Trauma Tales is brought to you by Cognitive Behavioural Education, providing training and supervision for people working with people who experience trauma. If you work with people, you know how challenging it can be sometimes and how you can end up having the wrong end of someone's day or having to deal with their trauma. CBE's training and supervision services can upskill and support you and your team to manage, de-escalate and thrive in these situations. For more information, go to www.cbe.net.au. So how, how did you escape? Um, I moved out. I moved out. Um, he several times had been physically violent in the latter part. Um, he'd only done it once in the early part and that's when he was um, under the influence um, of substances. And so I naturally made an excuse that, oh, well, you know, that was because of this, um, you know, don't touch it again. Uh, and yeah, we won't find ourselves here, um, but, I eventually, um, like towards the latter part, when it was more and more physical, um, I he would leave and go to his um, father's house for periods of a time every couple of weeks here or there because he knew I was going to call the police, mm. um, and so he would just he would just go, um, and I just didn't I just I didn't have I didn't have the energy. I didn't have um, the energy to deal with going to that next level. Um, and so I, yeah, I moved out. And um, I got the real estate agent that was renting us the place through military. Um, 
I got her to look into places for me so I could escape it. I got, um, and I just got onto every possible real estate agent I could to get a, a rental because it was, I just needed to get out. I didn't want to think about buying. I didn't have the, the money to buy really because it's all tied up in my business, but I just needed to get out. I needed to um, get the kids somewhere and establish mm -hmm. our lives again and and help them get back on top of their mental health. And I'm happy to say, you know, it's coming up to two years since I left and the kids are in an amazing space. But, but you know, there are still things that do manifest, like a lack of trust from my eldest daughter, um, a lack of, you know, trust in, in, in men. Um, she exhibited um, violence and physical violence towards the siblings. Um, she cannot talk highly of him whatsoever. Um, and yeah, can't stand him. Um, That's fair. And my son, he um, has glimpses of body image um, issues um, ongoing. Yeah. Uh, but they're not to the extent that they were. I had to send him away. Um, to other relatives, um, other male role models um, that mm. you know, I, I, I was confident could snap him out or, or help him through those those issues that he could look up to. Um, and so that, was, at that point of time, yeah. And um, but he's doing so well now too. Um, and my youngest, sorry, me. And you? Um, I'm going really well. I um, I met someone twelve months ago. Um, it's been very difficult because whilst my ex-husband um, accepted why I moved out, I subsequently found out he was telling a lot of um, our friends and whatnot that he, he was moving in with me, that we were still together. Um, and so when I met this person, um, he uh, then got, turned around to those people and said I'd cheated um he also said that i was a drug addict that i was an alcoholic uh the smear campaign yeah massive smear campaign <laughs> well sure i probably am an alcoholic but yeah not, <laughs> not uh, anyway but um you know yeah it, it definitely was a smear campaign but then it followed by i want you back um i've changed i've changed i've changed because he realized that i was moving forward um, and but in terms of this relationship, um, I'm incredibly loved, nurtured. So are the kids. This person goes above and beyond um, and gives his all. And you know, in the early stages, I found it really, really difficult to accept. Um, I found it really difficult to understand how someone could be so loving towards myself. What did he see in me? Mm -hmm. um, and why was he so kind to my children? Mm. Um, you know, it, it certainly um, took some time for um, my kids to trust or my youngest, she, she loves everybody. But um, mm -hmm. uh, but um, she, yeah, but obviously my eldest was a massive struggle. If I was this guy, I would have run for the hills because she did not want me to have anybody else in my life. Um, she did not want me to um, get in a relationship at all. Um, she liked him, but she'd tell everybody she hated him. Um, but they're besties now. Mm -hmm. 
and you know she kind of wanted to be his bestie at the beginning but she just her mind was you know blocked to being open yeah they'd experienced trauma too from from living with a someone with narcissistic personality disorder yeah absolutely um and you know in some ways you know obviously I kicked myself for probably staying as long as I did but I can see why I did I can see how you know you know I watch him move on you know on on online forums and whatnot and I just think that poor woman you know but the weird thing is is that I see I've been contacted by several of them saying, oh, you know, he was not what he portrayed or, you know, and they're not complimentary um, responses and I I don't care. I I wish him well. I just don't wish what I endured on anybody. No. Um, And, but I I beat myself up because I am, to think I'm a, a smart enough woman how did I get involved and, and stay in this relationship for so long um, when others can see the signs straight up? Um, mm. so that's what I've been really hard on myself about. Um, and I think that's that's a really good place to sort of sit with and sort of go, no one is immune. It doesn't matter how smart or successful or beautiful or well-known or doesn't matter it does not matter everybody is susceptible and no one is immune thank you so much for your time today Brooke that was amazing um, getting a glimpse into what's behind the scenes of, of living with someone with narcissistic personality disorder thank you so much thanks for having me thank you for joining me today on the trauma tales now is a good time to go and do some self-care especially if this tale resonated for you. If you'd like to reach out to The Trauma Tales to be a sponsor of the show or to come onto the show, please email The Trauma Tales, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Shanna White Psychology.